You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. I want to ask you a question as I start off this morning. How many of you would like to know at least a part of the future that's in front of you? How many of you want to know, Andre, you say no. I'm looking right at you. No. Now, you can't do that. You're the only one in the room, so you can handle this. How come you don't want to know the future? Like, I got to call you out. (laughs) All right, that's fair, right? Everybody else there? Yep. Somebody, why do you want to know the future? Somebody else share. We'll, We'll go this route this morning. Why do you want to know the future or part of your future? You can plan. Yep. Get re- and don't worry about it. Yeah, unless it's bad, then you'll join Andrea in the worry part. So pessimist here, <laughs> optimist here. It's good. You know, I think most of us would like to know part of our future. Um, or we might roll like Andrea and like, yeah, I just don't want to know anything. I'll just take it as it comes. So. Uh, but we generally, most of us, kind of think about that. We think about that when whether we buy a car or kids and plan, and we kind of want to know what's coming down the line, and uh, that's just kind of the nature that we are. We're hitting the spot in Daniel this morning where God is revealing to Daniel the future. And we probably ought to take Andrea's tack because Daniel, when he sees this, is just like, I really didn't want to know this. Like he did not know how to process and and how to work through some of these strange things. You know, the book of Revelation is a wild book to begin with. If you've ever read it, um, I'm trying to think if I have ever preached through it. I don't think I have. Uh, And it's loaded with beasts and dragons and visions and judgments and uh, plagues and all kinds of crazy stuff in the middle of it. Well, we're at the middle point of Daniel where the book of Daniel from here on out shifts gear into more of that kind of stuff too. In fact, today we'll talk about some beasts and we'll talk about some horns and some talking horns and visions and prophecies and that kind of thing. And God is revealing to Daniel a piece of the picture uh, of what was going to happen future to him. And depending on your view and how you interpret this, you either see it as still future or you see it as kind of like what's going on right now. We'll talk about that in a second. So before we kind of jump into this, I want to lay a couple of ground rules for whenever you're really or unpacking, whether it's the book of Revelation or this kind of portion of Daniel, we're going to read the vision in just a minute that Daniel saw and that God was showing to him some of the future. But I want to lay a couple of ground rules first. The the first ground rule I want you to realize is, is that we are to live out the truths of prophecy. You know, most people, when we think about prophecy, they want to know what the future is. And I want to remind us in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, in verse 7, the Bible says this. Jesus says, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Notice that he says keeps. You see, the whole big deal about Revelation is not that we might know the prophecy and what's going to happen in the future, but rather that God wants us to obey and to keep the truths of those prophecy. They should be things that we should do or believe or it should shape us personally in our life. So this morning as we start talking about some of these things. My goal is not to put charts on the wall. My goal is not to leave you intellectually stimulated this morning. 
I will leave that to the podcast or whatever theology book that you want to read. Um, I, my goal this morning is to take those truths and very simply uh, talk about what they mean for our life and what should we do today based on that. Whether or not you ever see these things or whether or not we see these things in reality or how you know, that future looks for us, we ought to walk away with our life changed. God wants us to obey His Word, not just simply know. And from what I can see with most of Christians, and I'll be honest, I was there for decades too, what is, all, what is up with Revelation? What are all these, these bold judgments and these, these dragons and these, oh my goodness, and we all want to know all of that stuff. And God says, yeah, I want you to know some stuff, but I really want you to obey some stuff. So we're going we're gonna to talk about what they mean, but I'm really going to focus on what we should obey. Second ground rule that we're going to play this morning is there are people whom I respect who have different opinions, uh, and each might say, well, mine's not an opinion, mine's true, but all right. Uh, different beliefs of what, how this end times thing is going to go. And there's, we could break it down into, you know, there's, there's three major schools, if you will. I'm going to break it down to two because I think two are really the most reasonable. And then out of the two, there's even like sub-schools. And we're not going to get into all of that this morning. But uh, I want you to notice a couple of things that will help us. So Daniel, we're going to look at Daniel 7 and 8, and there are two prophecies here that are just kind of like, oh my goodness, this is wild, and we're going to cover them both today. I'm really going to focus on the first one most. But notice in verse 28 of Daniel 7 what Daniel says. So he sees this crazy vision, we're going to read it, and it, it involves judgment and all kinds of stuff. And here he says in verse 28, here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed, which we presume the blood rushed out of his face and he's just like stunned, oh my goodness. And I kept the matter in my heart. Now look at Daniel 8:26. This is at the end of his second vision. And he says this, and I, Daniel, was overcome and I lay sick for some days. He was sick to his stomach, just struggled. And then I rose, in other words, he was laying in bed for days after he saw the second one, and I went about the king's business. Apparently he had some sick days accrued with the king, and the king just left him alone, and he just kind of, so Daniel, what's wrong with you? Did you get a doctor's note? No, I just had a really bad vision dream, king. I'm, 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 I can't, I've checked out. But it, it really did mess with him. And here's what he says. I was appalled by the vision in the last words, and I did not understand it. Now, can we all agree, if the guy that God was revealing this to gets the vision and he says, I really didn't understand it, uh, can we recognize that he was in a better spot in many ways than we are to fully wrap his mind around it? He's looking at it, and it's blowing his mind, and he's appalled, and he says, yeah, I really don't get this at all. Now, in all fairness, you and I have a little bit more information today than Daniel did. We've got the rest in the New Testament. We do have the book of Revelation. In fact, if you want to understand Revelation, you've got to understand Daniel. They go hand in hand in many ways. You've got to understand parts of the Bible. So the second ground rule is, is this. The second ground rule says that you and I need to be careful to not think we've got it all figured out. 
When I look at the different end time schemes and all of that, there's not one of them that completely answers all of my questions. I can find holes in each of them and just say, yeah, that's troubling. I'm struggling with exactly what that means and how that really, like, if that is true, that doesn't square with this part of scripture, what I see here. And I struggle to make any of them work out. So when somebody gives me all of the answers and figures it all out, I'm a little bit, can I just say honestly, a little bit skeptical as a pastor. I'm like, okay, I'm glad you got it figured out. You're obviously way smarter than me. And uh, I'll go on in life at that point. So we need to be careful with these. The two big schemes are this. And we'll read the, we'll read the vision in just a minute. The two big schemes are this. Is, is, is Jesus' kingdom that we saw in the, was it the second or third chapter of Daniel, that, that is going to be raised up, is it a physical, visible, literal kingdom that's going to be on this earth with Jesus sitting on a literal throne and something that we would all see? Or is it a genuine kingdom, but is really a kingdom that's more of a spiritual kingdom, something that Jesus is doing right now throughout the world in our hearts, that when we receive him as our Lord and Savior, that he is king? So one way of interpreting these end times things sees that Jesus is going to come again physically and he's going to set up a literal existing kingdom that's going to be on this earth. And the other one says, no, his kingdom is right now. And what's obvious to me is those two schemes have way more in common than they do than differences. Jesus is still king either way. Like you're still on the right team if you're on Jesus' team and he still is king and the issues are still the issues, whether they're going on today or they're later on. In fact, however you land, you need to kind of see them bleed together in many ways. So those are our two ground rules. I know at 10, 15 this morning, that's a lot. Like, Sean, I haven't even had my second coffee this morning, and you're already, like, hitting me hard. This is like 8 o'clock class in college, you know, the one that we all skipped and hated. So forgive me, but we'll now read the stuff, all right, and, and jump in, all right? So hang with me. Read with me in Daniel chapter 7. Here, here we go. The first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then I looked, uh, and then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. Now I'm going to go ahead and kind of give you a little bit of the punchline here. This dream syncs with Daniel's first dream. You remember a few weeks ago when, we, when Daniel had to interpret the dream of Nebuchadnezzar with the, the head of, a gold, of gold, the, the chest and arms of silver, and the, the middle part of bronze, and then the, the legs, uh, uh, the middle part and thighs of bronze, the bottom of the legs were iron, and then the, the toes of the feet were iron and kind of clay together. This dream actually syncs with that dream. The head of the gold is the same as this, the same as the lion. It's really the kingdom of Babylon. Daniel, in a minute, we won't read it, but I'm going to tell you, because we don't have time to read two whole chapters and go into all of the details, but Daniel sees, in essence, an angel there, and he's like, could you explain this to me, please, what in the world this means? And I'm so glad he asked that question. So we do know a whole lot 
And we do know the stuff that God really wants us to know. And, and the, the messenger says to him, yeah, these are four kingdoms on this earth. And the, the lion matches perfectly Nebuchadnezzar. His kingdom was known for lions. They were on the Ishtar Gate in Babylon and all of that. And, and this whole thing where he's flying like an eagle, but he gets laid low, and then he gets the mind of a, a, of a man again and stands up. It's a whole picture of him going through the whole thing. Remember when he, he lost his mind and, and, and had that psychotic break, and we talked about that? Fits that perfectly. So Daniel is, is seeing that picture of what happened at that point, actually was in the past, the rest are future to him. But at that point, just, just so very clear. All right, verse 5, Then behold another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side, kind of, you know, hunched up, if you will. And it had three ribs in its mouth and between its teeth. I don't know how big a bear's got to be or how thin ribs are, but uh, anyway, it's, it's chewing on food, right? It's, it's a vicious predator, shall we say. And, uh, and it was told, arise and devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. Some of you are like, I saw that movie. That was that crazy movie we saw, so, you know, a, a few years ago. Had wings on its back, and the beast had the four heads, dominion was given to it. And then verse 7, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. And it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. This lines up with the ten toes, if you will, that last kingdom there. And it stamps on things. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. And verse 8, And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one before which the three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now, that's either really bad pizza, or really, you know, you have a, I don't know, a fever, and your mind is doing crazy things going to bed, or you watch some crazy movie that makes you go through that. But God was revealing to Daniel... Keep in mind that the, the future and world events and what was going on. And keep in mind, Daniel had already demonstrated that he was a man through whom God was revealing these things. He was the one who could reveal to Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was and then what it meant. He was the one that was able to rightfully interpret Belshazzar what was going on. And so God was teaching Daniel all along, really kind of bringing him to this point that he could reveal some of these, these other dreams to him. The first dream was uh, the first... Uh, animal, the lion, as we saw, was really Nebuchadnezzar. The second one, the bear with the three ribs in his mouth, is really the, the Medes and the Persian Empire. Daniel chapter 8 reveals a whole other dream, and that dream overlaps this dream, if you will. These kind of all go hand in hand. So these beasts are sequential uh, kingdoms that are going on, and in the Daniel chapter 8, they, he sees... Um, uh, 
He sees this goat, this ram and this goat that comes. This ram has two horns, and one horn is bigger than the other ram. So think big male sheep, you know. And one horn was bigger than the other. That's the same as the bear being hudged up on one side, bigger than the other. Secular historians will tell us the Mede, the Medo-Persian Empire were kind of two empires, but they're linked together, and the Persians were a greater empire. They were more controlling. They had uh, more power and did more things. So they're the bigger side of the bear, the bigger uh, horn of the, of the ram, if you will. And, uh, and they were... Um, exerting tremendous authority. In fact, none could stand before them. Uh, Daniel chapter 8 talks about, and they were given before God as these kings were stirred up out of the seas, out of the earth, out of the human affairs. God stirred them up. They were given much authority to, to devour and to conquer and to create an enormous empire. And history tells us that the Persians, when they would win their world battles, they would just, by sheer numbers, avalanche everyone. It's not because they had better weaponry. It's not because they had better strategy. They just would absolutely could overwhelm and kill and destroy, matching perfectly this dream and this vision. The third one, the, the, the leopard that has the four wings. Uh, leopards are fast by nature and kind of agile and springy, if you will, upon attack. And then it has four heads. This is a picture of the Greek empire. Chapter 8 of, Roman, of uh, Daniel names uh, Greece by name. So I'm so grateful that we have an insight into these. Like these are literal kingdoms on this earth. And this one is the, the, the goat that comes in chapter 8 that rams literally into that ram that hits it and kills it and stamps on it and destroys it. It's a picture of Alexander the Great the, that comes and just decimates and overwhelms the Persian Empire. In fact, if you study history, Alexander Great was just kind of a... Um, uh, just a, a real zealous kind of general that would just, I mean, march all night and they'll conquer you and just, just unbelievable, relentless. And in Daniel chapter 8, it says that king, and this would have been future to our Daniel that we're talking about. In Daniel chapter 8, it says that when that king, that first king, um, is in his great power, that that horn, his first big horn will be broken off. History tells us that Alexander the Great died as a very young man, still in the prime of his power, and had conquered so much in the world, had a zeal to make the whole world Greek, if you will, Greek culture and Greek mathematics and so many famous people. Aristotle was his personal tutor, and so much influence even on the world today comes out of that. And out of his rule, in fact, on his deathbed, he said, he said there will be a tremendous fight over who rules after me. His people around him said, who do you want to be your successor? And his answer was, whoever's the strongest. So out of him came four rulers, and that's the four heads of the leopard. That's the four horns in the next uh, chapter 8. And one of those in chapter 8 becomes in history uh, the, cr the crazy man, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was one of the, came up through one of the four uh, parts of that kingdom in the Greek world and ends up conquering Israel, ends up destroying and decimating, killing thousands, end up sacrificing pigs on the altar, uh, the holy altar of God. In other words, he did everything he could to defile God's name, to defile all that God stood for, just absolutely repulsive 
uh, in the middle of that. And so as we read both Daniel 7 and Daniel 8, we see this figure uh, that's vaunting itself and speaking and boasting great things against the holy name of God. And then the last, the last kingdom that we see uh, in Daniel chapter 7 is this crazy beast that I don't know if it looked like a dragon. Daniel doesn't describe it in a way that we can kind of get a mental image. I can picture a leopard and four wings and four heads. It's a little weird, but I get the picture. I can get a picture of a lion with wings. This other beast, we don't know what it is, but it was bad to look at. Um, it, you know, horror movie kind of animal, but iron teeth. Uh, in fact, later on, chapter 7 says its claws were made out of bronze. So think big teeth, big claws, nasty, snarly, and it decimates the kingdom before, uh, or before it. And so we know from history what kingdom comes after Greece is Rome. Uh, a Rome that ruled with an iron fist. The picture of iron fits so well and so as they conquered the world, ruled with such terror in the middle of all of that. So two crazy kinds of visions and dreams. And what troubled Daniel was that not because he saw something weird in his dream, but because he knew these things were reality. He knew that this was really happening. In fact, I haven't read the verses to you, but these, these individuals, these kingdoms, the Bible says, will conquer and will begin to destroy God's own people. That, that for a season that they will have incredible sway and be able to bring tremendous destruction upon them. And Daniel saw that in reality, and he was deeply, deeply disturbed about all of that. So if you are one way of interpreting this prophecy stuff, you're like, okay, that's a picture of just, we Christians are gonna go through persecution, have lots of bad stuff going on right now. If you're another way of interpreting it, you're like, wow, that's coming down the line. I sure hope I'm out of here and I am not around when that happens. And then another you on that one says, yeah, that's coming later on and I hope that I make it through that. So all of this interpretation stuff, when I'm about to head into the actual implications, what do we need to do out of this? Don't treat this like a salad bar. Don't say, oh, I like the sound of that one. I'm gonna pick that one because that's a whole lot more palatable to me. You know, God really doesn't ask our opinion <laughs> about these things. He's revealing to us what's gonna happen, whether we know it or not, whether we agree with it or not, whether we understand it or not, these things are in motion. So Sean, what, where do you land on this? I, I tend to land a little more on the literal side. So I tend to think that there really is gonna be a kingdom that Jesus sets up. Well, Sean, what about all of those details and dates? Yeah, I can't explain it. And there's some shortcomings in that too, I get it, but I, to me, when I read these things, they're, they're pretty literal in here. These dragons and, or these, these beasts in this bronze statue, they were real kings, real people, real time, real life. And I tend to take it literal. Could I be wrong? Absolutely. But even if I am wrong, I know this. We in this world are going to have a lot of problems, okay? So 
That's prophecy overview. Can we take a deep breath? And now can we get to like, what do we do about this? Can we do that? And I'll leave your theology, your podcast, and let you discuss it. You can have wonders. Your life group leaders will hate me after this series. You know, Sean, I cannot believe you did that to us at the end of, you know, this spring session of life groups. So have a blast, all right? Ask the hard questions. It'll be good. I think I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to appoint somebody to take my spot for my group. And uh, so three implications. What do we do with these crazy beasts that are devouring and all of these successive kingdoms? What do we, what do, we do with them? First big implication Because of God, we have to give an account of our lives to Him. We're accountable. I want you to notice the next piece of Daniel's vision that I did not read and have not talked about. Daniel sees these beasts and things, but then in verse 9 he says, As I looked, thrones were placed. Picture a courtroom with multiple thrones. In the Ancient of Days poetical way of talking about the eternal God who always exists. He took his seat on a throne, and his clothing was white as snow, as purity. His hair of his head was like pure wool, speaking of the wisdom and the infinite knowledge that he contains. And his throne was fiery flames. It, literally, the throne was the flame, and its wheels... I have no idea if it rolled around or if it just had spinning wheels for show. I don't know. But they were of burning fire. It would have been an awesome sight as Daniel saw the throne of God sitting there. And a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. And a thousand thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand. I think that's like a hundred million, billion, somewhere in there. Stood before him. And the court sat in judgment and the books were opened. I looked, and then because of the sound of the great words and the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. First thing is that we should all recognize whether you're one of these kings or one of the servants in one of these kingdoms, all of our lives are accountable to God in heaven. We see a picture of God sitting as judge of the earth. And if God, if no one on this earth is beyond God's judgment, we see God judging the top ruler in each of these kings. And that means that not only that ruler is judged, but all of the other people underneath that ruler is accountable to the God who's sitting enthroned above the universe, opening the books of all the deeds and actions and thoughts and attitudes and behaviors that we have lived before our life, they're open to Him, and He's judging our lives out of those very things. What you and I should take away, regardless of how we might see the end times, and rather than getting all excited and about, or, or disturbed about where all this is, I want us to walk away today recognizing that we're accountable to a holy God in heaven, that everything that we do is open to Him and we're responsible before Him. The issue isn't what do we think about our actions. The issue is what does He think about our actions. The issue isn't you know, what, what, whether or not we believe something that we do is right or wrong. It's not even what our friends believe what's right or wrong or the culture around us. 
God is the judge of the world, and our actions before him will be decided in his courtroom, in his courtroom alone. I went with my daughter Abigail this week uh, to buy a car, and uh, you know, one of those rites of passages as kids get older and they need their own transportation and live life and all of that, and you, you, you get welcome to adulthood in a hurry when you start paying, you know, buying cars and insurance and all of that and everything. It starts coming fast and furious. So when we went there, uh, we bought it from a private person, a, a private seller, didn't go through a dealer. And, uh, and the, the person uh, quickly said, the guy quickly said, I left the mileage off the, uh, off the, I don't know, the bill of sale or whatever that thing is we have to give to New York State. And that way you can put in whatever you want. If you've never brought a private car before, New York State, you have to pay them tax even on that. I don't quite understand that. So you buy a car and three years later, if you resell it, you've already paid the sales tax on that item. But New York State wants to double dip into that. And there's probably a reason for it beyond just that they want the money. But I don't know what it is. You can enlighten me later. But anyway. And so he wanted to let me to be able to say that, put in there that we bought it for less than what we really did. In other words, save a few bucks on our end on less tax. And, I, and he thought he was being generous and nice and all that. And I just said, look, I, I fear God more than I do Cuomo. You know, we're going to write in whatever that is, and that is what it is, and we're moving forward, you know. It is not worth 50 bucks to me to get God against me, all right? My life and our life is open to him. We're accountable to him and responsible to him. That means that you and I shouldn't walk around in fear like the sky is falling, but it means that even in every area of our life, that there's a God in heaven that our life is accountable to uh, for everything that we do and how we live to live righteously and godly before him. It's a reminder to us that we do know the rest of the New Testament and the rest of the story that Jesus Christ came to die for all of those sins, to pay the price because ultimately none of us could stand before God. If God opened the books on all of us and we had to stand before Him for our own life ourselves, none of us in this room would come out clean. None of us in this room would be exonerated. Every one of us would be guilty before God. But God instead put the death penalty and wrote guilty over his son Jesus who died in our place so that everyone who surrenders to him as Lord of their life not only joins his kingdom, not, but they are forgiven and saved to a degree that God says, he looks in his book and says, I see nothing against you whatsoever. So it's a reminder to you and me that even though where our lives are accountable to him, we stand forgiven and clean before the God of heaven. And as a result, we ought to live that way. We ought to live to him, live before him. So when you read Revelation, when you read Daniel, we ought to know that there is an incoming, that the whole world will, will be accountable and you will go into an eternity of heaven or you will go into an eternity of separation and destruction for him. There will be no middle ground. And he is a judge who sits over everything with the wisdom and the purity and the, 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 the years before him. And our lives will either be on our own, condemned, or we'll stand underneath the forgiveness and grace of the Lord Jesus and spend eternity with Him. We're accountable. Second thing to notice, not only is it because of God that our lives are accountable to Him, but because of Jesus, we should tell the whole world about Him. We should invite the world to be in His kingdom. Here's the next piece in verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, 
With the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus' most popular, most favorite way, if, if we could say it that way, I'm not sure that's appropriate, but Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man more than any other thing, and he gets it out of this passage. The one time in the Old Testament when it's used, or at least one time that I'm aware of. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. So see God sitting on his throne, fiery throne, wheels, other thrones, millions there before him. And here in comes Jesus being presented into the courtroom, presented before God the Father in heaven. And to him was given dominion, which is authority, and glory, which is honor, and a kingdom, which is a, an organization, a structure, if you will, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It's an everlasting authority which shall not pass away in His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel has a picture of what heaven is going to look like. When we read the book of Revelation, as the, the gates are open and the, you know, the doors are peeled back, the Bible says there will be people serving our God of every language, all peoples, all nations, all languages serving before God. God was never just interested in the Jewish nation. He was interested in the world. He was interested in the Babylonians. He was interested in the Persians. That's why He sent Daniel there and why He revealed Himself to, to Darius and to, to Cyrus. God is all about people knowing Him. You see, that means for you and for me, our lives on this earth should be about inviting people into God's kingdom. You see, the picture that Daniel has is, yes, there are four terrible kingdoms here. And it's bad, and there will be a lot of destruction. There will be a lot of carnage. There will be some individuals that rise up that we know in the New Testament as the Antichrist. Like John tells us the spirit of Antichrist is in existence now. So even if you believe this stuff is really totally future and yet to come, we know that the enemy is at work in the world around us and these things are happening now just as they were in Greece and Rome's time. But Jesus' kingdom is, is above that. And he's challenging us to be reminding of the fact that our job is to invite people into his kingdom. Our job isn't building our own kingdom. It's not feathering our own nest, if you will. It, it's, it's truly a, being a part of building His kingdom in this world among peoples who don't know Him, among people all over the planet who have never heard the name of Jesus. Most people in America have some way, shape, or form of having the opportunity to know Jesus personally. Many have really not heard the gospel right around us. I would almost be willing to say most. Even if they've gone to church, most churches are not sharing the simple gospel message. In my experience, I have to admit, I've not surveyed all the churches, so if you pin me to the wall, Sean, do you really know for a fact? No, I really don't. I'm not a statistician. But there's an awful lot of churches that aren't really, they might talk around the gospel, they might generically talk about it, 
but not clearly where somebody could truly hear and know Christ and be saved. But most of the world doesn't have that ability. Most of the world doesn't have that. And you and I have a responsibility to make that happen. It's part of the reason why we as a church are committed to missions and Part of the reason we give literally everything that comes in, we send out 10%. If you've been through our Discover class, we talk about that, that we want to model what that being a good stewardship financially, and we send those out to the, to the world as a picture that all of us should be giving to God, you know, those, those tithes and those offerings. Because the world desperately needs Jesus. You see, fixed in Daniel's mind is, is there is no kingdom on this world that's going to make it. That only Jesus' kingdom is everlasting and can't be destroyed. That's the message that we're getting from Daniel chapter 1 all the way through. That's the message to Nebuchadnezzar. That was a message to Belshazzar. He was weighed in the balances of God, and God found him lacking. The books were open, and God said, enough. That's the message of Darius that Darius received, and that's the message of this crazy vision that, that this world the only kingdom that's going to last. So in any given moment, you and your actions are either building up God's kingdom or they're building up your own kingdom. There's no middle ground. And if you're building up God, your kingdom, then it's doomed to failure. So in any moment, whatever we're doing, we're either doing one of those two things, and it's a challenge for us not to just build our own lives in God's kingdom, but what God is interested in is the other people knowing Him and having that relationship with Him. I want to challenge you in your personal relationships. Are you inviting others into that kingdom? That's something that we should be thinking about when we read the book of Revelation, of just what is that truly looking like in our world and how God's using us. Third thing, and I'm done. Because of Jesus, we should always have hope. Always have hope. If you read the rest of chapter 7 and 8, it gets a little hairy in there. It gets a bit crazy. I'll read in verse 16 just a couple of verses. And uh, he says, Daniel's trying to get an understanding what this, what this is all about. And he says, I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. And he told me, and he made known to me the interpretation of these things. These four great beasts, or four kings, shall, shall arise out of the earth. Notice this next one. But, in other words, they're earthly kingdoms. But, the saints of the Most High, that's you and me when we know Jesus. The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom. We receive it. And we possess the kingdom forever and forever and ever. And down in verse 21, And as I looked, this horn made war with the saints, that's you and me, and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the, the kingdom. You see, Daniel's telling us is that if you're a child of God, the rest of the kingdoms of this world are not in favor. And the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in this world. 
And the Antichrist, if you understand the interpretation that way, is coming, capital A Antichrist, who's against Jesus, against Christ. And because he's against Jesus, and because that spirit is at work in the world around us, it's against you and me. And we go through a lot of junk in our life. Some of it's mild persecution, some of it's major persecution. But we all go through it. Jesus promised us, if you know me, you're going to have trouble. You are going to be persecuted. It's not a, an if, it's a when kind of thing. But you and I always, 100% of the time, have hope. Hope. Why? Because when all of this darkness and bleakness, Jesus still always prevails 100% of the time. That is not a stretch, and I'm not spiritualizing it. That means there's not a situation you're going to face in this world where you are without hope. I don't care if it's in your marriage. I don't care if it's in your finances. I don't care if it's at work, in your relationships. I don't care if it's in your health. I don't care if it is in your persecution or direct demonic spiritual attack. You and I, 100% of the time, always have hope in Jesus. If we get anything out of the book of Daniel, and anything out of the book of Revelation, is that the number one thing that you and I must do in our life is to trust Him. Trust Him with our life. Trust Him with our future, whether we know what it is or not, but trust Him. So when you and I face those things, they can be small things that later on we're just like, I can't believe I was so despairing in that. Why did I act like I had so dis like such despair? When you and I realize we've done that, we've actually doubted God. When we've actually lived in that moment in fear, and it's actually a sin that we need to confess. God, forgive me. I didn't trust you. God, would you teach me faith and teach me to trust you even in all of these things? That's what God is doing in your life and in my life. So as you read the crazy stuff in Daniel and as you guys discuss it even this week in our life group, I encourage you to read chapter 7 and 8 before you walk into those groups because otherwise your head will be spinning and swimming. It will be anyway, but at least it'll help a little bit. Um, make it practical and what God is trying to do is to give the Jews hope that he chose them as his people and it seemed completely hopeless to them that they were lost. And God said, no, you've been conquered by a kingdom, but I still have the final say. He wanted them to have hope. He wants the future Christians to have hope. And he wants you and I to have hope right now. That he's a God of second chances. He's a God of mercies. This morning I prayed and thanked God this morning that his faithfulness was new to me. Afresh. No matter where we've been in our past, that God's grace is greater than all of that. So this morning as we look at Daniel and the crazy dreams, remember that your life is accountable to him. You're, you are responsible for all of it. Second thing, God wants us to be a part of building his kingdom, of spreading his gospel message and inviting others to his kingdom the world over. All of Jesus' parables, all of Jesus' stories point to that. And the third thing is, have hope. 
Have hope in whatever challenge you're facing right now, no matter how small. Have hope in the future. I don't care if aliens abduct you. I don't care if you're... Jesus is more powerful. He is able. Trust him. He has a way of only showing up at the very end when you think there's no way that I'm getting out of this. He has a way. Trust him. Won't you pray with me as our team comes up? Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the truths of your gospel. Thank you, Father, that your kingdom is greater than all. And that no matter what happens in our life, that we can trust you, that you will take care of us. Thank you, Father, that, uh, that you have all authority and the judgments that you give in this world are perfect and good and pure. And thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us, to pay the penalty of our sin so that we could stand before you. All of us deserved condemnation just like this Roman kingdom and these Roman kings. But Father, you sent your son Jesus because you loved us to pour out your wrath upon him so that you might forgive us. And as we trust you, as we turn from our sins and we trust you as Lord of our life, we enter in a relationship that we stand forgiven, that we stand clean before you. Father, thank you for that. As we celebrate this Lord's Supper, it's so fitting for us to remember that your kingdom always stands and that we always have hope. Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.